name is not Dr. Google. I'm Dr. V. I want you to be healthy and happy, so we're going to talk about all the things I can't fit into a 15-minute appointment. Let's get started. Step into my office. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. V. I am starting season two. Season two. It's been a while since we've been in the studio, and I'm excited to be back. Some of you are my listeners. You're following me on Instagram and Facebook, and others of you are my patients. So you know that I have had a COVID epiphany, and I am taking a leap, and I'm leaving private practice. So I'm practicing OBGYN, board certified, and I'm switching it up a little bit, and I am living my best life and living my dreams. And so one of my patients, you know, I was talking to her and telling her about what I'm trying to do, what, what my next step is. She said, you need to speak to Jerome. And I was all set to record my episode. And I went to his page and I said, I need to speak to Jerome. What I saw, and this is so inspiring, he is the chief inspirational officer of Dreamcatchers. The chief inspirational officer of Dreamcatchers. And so while I'm trying to live my best life, I think that it is important to speak with people who are doing it and doing it well. And so he has a podcast called Dreamcatchers, which is phenomenal and very, very inspirational. But he also does a whole bunch of other things. So before I keep going, let's just give a shout out and just hear from Jerome. Hey, Jerome. How are you? I'm very well. So I'm good to be great. with you. It is awesome for you to be here. So I just want you guys to get started and just kind of, I'm going to, I don't do bios, so I'm not reading anything. He probably has, I don't know, like 15 jobs. <laughs> I do two things. I develop people in places. That's all I do. That's all he does. Okay. And he does that through 15 things. <laughs> so I'm going to let. Jerome introduce himself and kind of tell us a little bit more about what he does and why he is qualified to be on Office Business with Dr. V. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably the least qualified person to share a microphone with you, but you were <laughs> gracious enough to allow me to share space with you. So I'm going to do my best to hang out and give some value to your listeners. And yeah. I think you've charged me with introducing myself. And so what I would tell your listeners is it all started with a conversation with my mom in the front yard. I was probably five, right? And every Thursday, we lay the blanket out in the front yard. I get my Tonka trucks and I'm playing, I'm building, I'm creating. And about 1045, I'd hear it. It was a trash truck. It'd be on the main street. Then it turned on our road, first house, boom, get it in. Second house, and ours was the third on the right. And as he gets to the second house, you know, I'm running, I'm going to greet him when he gets there, right? Then he hops off the truck. He does this little thing where he flips the lid off of the trash can, uh -huh. spins around like a quarter uh -huh. falls flat. He does a little pirouette, dumps the trash in the trash truck, and then he spins it back to the curb. It never fell over. It always hit right against the curb, <laughs> right? And he looked at me, he point with the fake gun, give me the little <laughs> trigger, and he winked. And I was doing my best rendition of baby shark but this was far before <laughs> baby shark right i wanted him to pull the handle right so he would crush the trash and he crushed the trash and i would just go crazy and on this particular day i looked at my mom and i said mommy i want to be a trash man when i grow up and she said baby 
you have to have a career or a job that is going to pay for the lifestyle that you want to live. Good. And she sucked all the air out of the room or out of the outside. And I was like, yeah, but Lonnie is at home when his kids get home from school. And sometimes we have to wait for daddy to come home to eat dinner because he doesn't come home until after dark because he works from six to six because he's in the military. And, you know, sometimes we can't play catch because he's still at work. And she was like, I understand, baby, but, you know, they got to work outside in the hot and they got to work outside in the cold. And don't you like your Nikes and your Jordache jeans and your guest T-shirts? I do. Well, you got to pay for that stuff. And so you need to find a profession that's going to allow you to live that lifestyle. And so we just tucked that away. I was a little bit sad, but, you know, kids are resilient. Got over, got back to my target trucks and moved on. Well, that came back up when I was in my AP physics class. Walked up to Mr. Ayers and said, hey, Hmm. uh, I think we got to do this college thing. I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. I said, I like solving problems, but I don't know if I want to do it with people. Or with math and science. And I was like, okay. He said, well, Jerome, what are you thinking about? I said, psychology or engineering? He said, well, one pays very different than the other. And I mm-hmm. said, oh, okay. So then I went back to the little Jerome, <laughs> right? So I got to do the thing. So I ended up at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University, studied engineering, played football for a little while. And uh, eventually I graduated, got into the power industry. And the grand hurrah was building a $20 million division for a Fortune 550. And, you know, I was employee number two in that division. And by September, we had about 175 people on my team. Wow. And we did $20 million in revenue with 30% profit margins that first year. Big time. And so we get to the end of the year and I get the phone call at 455 Christmas Eve. Hey, Jerome. So we made a decision. I know you and I have been debating back and forth on what we're going to do with the staff because we're probably not going to need everybody next year. Uh, We've decided that we're going to terminate them. Terminate who? Half my team. Half of of 175. Half. Whoa. And I said, no, wait, then we can't do that. Like, we've been talking about this. He said, Jerome, it's 459 now. I've listened to you. I'm done. I'll talk to you next year. I'm going to spend the rest of the year with my family. And it was the first time I had to lay people off. Mm. And my stomach fell, as I think some of the listeners who've had that experience are feeling right now. And I didn't eat for a while. I didn't sleep because I just felt like there was something so wrong with that. Mm. We were so profitable. I mean, $6 million Mm -hmm. in profit. Mm -hmm. How do you you reconcile that? And so I I got through it. I said, I'll never do that again, but we got to do it, right? Maybe we were fat and there were some people who shouldn't be on the team. So I I rationalized it. And then at some point I realized, I said, they're making me do this, but they weren't. It was my choice, right? I could always decide that I wasn't going to do it. I could always decide that I was not going to work there. I could have decided all the things, but in my mind, the construct made me do it. And It was at that point that I I realized that something had changed for me, it switched. And so fast forward to the Thanksgiving of the next year, two days before or so, and I call everybody up, hey, I don't know what's going to happen. Don't spend all your money on your Black Friday check, please. And eventually we made another announcement that we were laying folks off. And it was at that point that I decided that I was going to leave corporate. And so I had this grand plan that I was going to go buy an apartment building. 
and I listened to a bunch of podcasts and watched YouTube videos. And <laughs> I put my little business plan together. I went in the bank and said, you want to give me a million dollars to buy this 23-unit building? And they said, absolutely, absolutely not. not. <laughs> and I said, wait, <laughs> I just built a $20 million division and I have P&L responsibilities. I, I got an MBA. I got an engineering license. I, I got a Six Sigma certification. What do you mean you don't want to lend to me? He's like, well. You don't have the experience. I said, well, what's the experience? So we want to see you execute the same business plan with a property of similar size, and then we'll give you a loan. If not, you need to find a partner. Well, I didn't know anybody. And this was when I realized that I hadn't really made any progress from college. So me and my buddy, Deron, were sitting on a soup sophomore year, and we started doing math, right? I was paying $3.95. I had two roommates who were doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. I think most mm -hmm. people who went to college did that. Mm -hmm. Then downstairs, he had the same thing going on in his unit. Well, he was an industrial engineer, so, you know, he, he knew he was really good at math, right? So he was like, wait, this guy oh, is making 70, <laughs> 60, 70 grand a month, and we don't ever see him or talk to him. How does that work? And I was like, no, no, no. He's making $700,000 a year because I had to be smarter because my number was bigger, right? Right. And we were like, well, we don't need that much. We only need like 70. And that would be like more than my dad ever made. So what are we doing? We didn't know anybody. My dad was a soldier. My mom stayed at home with me. Nobody was with a multi-million dollar portfolio was coming to the barbecue. Okay. Right. Yep. So yep. what I realized was from the time I was a sophomore in college till the time I left corporate America, I did nothing to build a relationship with somebody who was doing what I said I wanted to do. Right. And so when I walked mm -hmm. out and said I was going to go grab that dream off the shelf and go buy an apartment building, I got reminded that I wasn't actively being intentional or deliberate about doing the things that I know I needed to do in order to create the outcome that I wanted to have. Ooh, that so, touched me. That touched me. I did what everybody else does, right? Because there's HGTV. Fix it for Alex. <laughs> Right. Okay. And so we made the pivot, got some hard <laughs> money, did some fix and flips. And I'll pause after this story because I think this one's amazing. I'm sitting on the stoop because the stoop's so important in my life. Uh, my 1920s build, $90,000 rehab. I'm sitting there. I'm proud of myself, right? Because we d did all the electrical, all the, everything. With new AC, HVAC. The guy pulls up in his white Dodge Ram. He hops out. Hey, bud. You mind if I check out your house? We're getting ready to do one down the street. Yeah, absolutely. Come on in, man. He walks in. He's like, you took that wall out and you put the uh, gooseneck seek in the island. Uh-huh. With it. And this French door is time period correct. And he goes upstairs. He looks at the towel. Man, this is a nice towel. Good work there. He's come down the stairs. And he's about to walk out the front door. He's like, hey, you know anything about that building behind the Chimbo Mart? Yeah, I, I tried to buy that four or five months ago, but the bank told me I didn't have experience, so they weren't going to lend to me. Uh-oh. He said, well, I'm going to make an offer on that later today. You're going to make an offer on it? Yeah. Please don't leave me out. You're the guy I've been looking for, right? I. Wait, you told him that? I, I told him that, right? It, it had to be orchestrated, right? that he would come to my house to see right. me right. then ask me about right. the building I tried right. to buy and tell me he was getting ready to do it. He said, what are you going to bring to the table? He said, I don't know. We'll figure that out. 
don't leave me out of the deal. He said, no, I mean, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, I don't know, but just know that I want to do this deal and we'll figure that part out. Don't leave me out of the deal. He looked at me one more time. He said, what are you going to bring to the table? I said, man, I, I, I really want to be in a deal. You're the guy I've been looking for. I know you have experience. He said, we, I do. I own a few things. He said, I, the bank said they wouldn't lend to me because I didn't have experience. I want to be in the deal. And I never answered his question. So he walks down the stairs, walks through the grass, hops in his truck and drives off. And so this is a Wednesday. I just know by Friday, I'm going to get the call. Hey, we got the contract. No phone call Friday. But he asked you three times that you didn't answer. I didn't answer his question. Okay, go ahead. Monday comes around. I was like, okay, they just need to think about it through the weekend. Surely (laughs) Monday. (laughs) Nothing. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, nothing. The next Tuesday, a guy that I used to lend money to when I was in corporate America who was doing rehabs called me. He's like, hey, man, I just got invited to be a general contractor on that property that we talked about six or seven months ago. I told them that I wasn't comfortable doing it unless you were involved in a project. So we're going to meet tomorrow at this time. You in? Of course I'm in. And so planting seeds along the way put me in a position that I had no idea it was going to. And what happened outside of that was I ended up being in a role called an asset manager for the folks who do any private placement, real estate investment, where they get money from others. So I was responsible for basically project managing the whole thing. And that got my name in the paper. Because my name was in the paper, commercial loan officers reached out because they wanted to know what else we were doing and Mm -hmm. what we were going to do when we got Mm -hmm. done with that one. Mm -hmm. And so leveraged some of those relationships, left Richmond, came to Greensboro, and we've been buying here and helping other people figure out how to do similar things. Amazing. That's me. That that's that's you. <laughs> There's a lot more, but that is amazing. This episode, I've been trying to wrestle with what the title is gonna be because my patients are like, How can you leave? How can you leave us? And all I ever wanted to do was be an OBGYN. Like I I knew I wanted to be a doctor and I knew I wanted to serve women. We're going to have fun with that. But God is showing me that I need to do it in a different way. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I I resonate with the part of your story where you say something changed. Oh, yeah. And you could have easily, easily still been in corporate America. Yeah. You could have easily still been in corporate America. And none of this would have happened. And I feel like just knowing what I know about you briefly, like through your social media presence and through the internet, your gift probably wasn't best utilized in corporate America. And so, I mean, I mean, I guess you can, I have a, yeah, thrive where you're planted. But what you're doing now is like, probably it's your calling, right? And so I have always talked to my patients about, you know, in order to to be healthy, you know, we have to be mentally and physically well. Absolutely. And so, you know, what what do you feel is the importance of living your dreams and listening to that inner voice and saying, you know what? I don't have to do this. I can change the outcome. Yeah. I can do something different. Yeah, yeah. So you, you dropped something that I'm going to pick up and play with for a little bit. Oh, right? You said all that I ever <laughs> wanted to be was an OBGYN. Here's okay. the thing, right? Okay. The majority of us 
decided who we were going to be between the ages of seven and 10. Mm -hmm. And we spend the rest of our life trying to realize that. Okay. We've got totally different experiences. We've been exposed to things that we had no idea existed Existed, when we were in there. And we saw the world through the eyes of a child because we had those experiences instead of recalibrating and making adjustments to the thing that we're trying to actually accomplish, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I think switch for you is it's about the essence, right? It's about the outcome. The mechanism isn't important, right? And so you serving women in a specific way and a way that actually makes sense for everybody from a value exchange mm-hmm. proposition is the higher calling. It's not just being a doctor, right? That was the conduit you saw to serving in the way that you wanted to serve. But when you get exposed to other ways of doing it, absolutely, you have to have the courage yes. to make that adjustment because most of yeah. us don't because we've decided that this is who we are and this is all we will mm-hmm. ever be if we're able act if we're actually able to accomplish it. And the other thing I was you dropped earlier that I want to pick up is stop saying trying because you're doing, right? I'm doing. You're doing and you're being. I'm doing and be. So, so guys, I do a pre-call before we kind of come on the air just to kind of get to know the guests and just kind of, you know, so we're not meeting for the first time on the recording. Jerome coached me up and down. Like, like when I left off the call, I was like, wait, what am I doing with my life? Like, am I, am I crazy? Like, you know, but. That is your gift. Like, I didn't even hear trying. And a part of being brave and stepping out, because I'm scared, you know, I don't have a roadmap for what I'm doing, but part of it is I'm going to have to have confidence and believe in myself. And my language needs to change. And so that's true for anybody from, you know, Dr. V to the person, the cashier at the food line. Like, how you see yourself you know, has to affirm who you're trying to be and how, who you're trying to become. So thank you for that. Thank you for your gift. So is this what you do with your, your clients? Um, I, I want you to kind of get into the whole, the dream catchers, leaving the matrix, the red pill. Like he's got a whole thing for those of you who are interested in listening to that inner voice and, and, and doing something different with your life. Yeah. So the matrix is a metaphor for a lot of things, but it's whatever bondage we create for ourselves. And it can be as simple as what our identity is based on what we decided as we would be when we were seven or eight. Right. Or it can be that we've decided that we can't do the thing because we've got these people over here who are counting on us to make a certain amount of income because we've created this lifestyle of comfort. Right. And so I can't do that pivot. I can't go out here and explore this thing because I'm going to harm them in some way, even if it's just an inconvenience or a little bit of discomfort. And that for so many people becomes terrifying. But what if you flipped it on his head and you said that I have to do this thing because of these people? What if they were your motivation? What if they were your inspiration instead of your bondage? And so my whole thing is frame it so that your situation serves you. Because so often, especially with ladies, right? Especially mamas, right? 
<laughs> their whole life is about making sure that their baby's not uncomfortable. It's all about the nurturing. It's all about not getting hurt. It's all about making sure that they don't have any trauma. But in a controlled environment, learning how to deal with those things, because some of it's imminent, right? There is going to be something right. that goes wrong. At some point. Mm -hmm. Being able to give them the tools to help them navigate that is the best gift that you can ever give a little person so that they know how to cope and manage. Mm -hmm. And if they can't, then they go get help instead of pretending that it's okay. Because that's what we do, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody's okay. And then they go numb it because they're not okay. And so what my, my game is, is, you know, there's six levels and I took the red pill is the slogan. Right. And so for those of you who don't know the 1999 film, the main character in the film was presented with a choice. He could take a blue pill and wake up from the dream that he was in and everything would be hunky dory, ignorant bliss. Or he could take the red pill and see the truth, see how things are and then live that truth. Right. And it was my hope. It still is my hope that everybody wants to live the truth. I think the lie is convenient. I think the lie mm -hmm. is something that we choose to accept or believe because we don't want to actually have to do something. And so. Yeah, it's easier in a way. Yep. It, it is until it isn't mm -hmm. because we're just kicking the can down the road. Right. Eventually, all of the stuff that we believe from a lie perspective comes home to roost. And it does it at an inconvenient time. We're in control when we're willing to accept the truth because we're making a deliberate choice. But when the lie comes, it comes up and it becomes most of the times that it's super inconvenient time. And then we're forced to do something that we wouldn't normally do because of the way that the situation unraveled. And so the red pill is our model for centered life. It's six levels. It starts with self-image. Most people don't like that part, but I think that the only way that you can see a change in the world is if you are the start of it. And so we go inside and we figure out, are, are you still eight-year-old Dr. V? Are you 20-year-old Dr. V? Mm -hmm. Are you 35-year-old Dr. V? Where are you and when did you decide what you're living out? And is it still serving you? Seeing a life, seeing your life through the lens of an eight-year-old does not serve you if you have an eight-year-old. <laughs> it doesn't, right? And so we 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 unpack that, and the whole game there is just to make sure that you can keep promises to yourself. Because once you're able to keep promises to yourself, everything else gets a whole lot simpler because you're able to hold other people accountable. And level two is relationships. And so when you play at a high level, and I only work with people who I call apex performers. You're the source. You're the source of energy for just about everybody in your world. They come to you because they have a problem. And they want your counsel. Mm -hmm. They come to you to write the check to solve the problem. They come to you for whatever. They're not usually bringing you things. And so what happens is you become empty because you only have deposits coming from your, or I'm sorry, withdrawals coming from right. your right. account. And so the first thing that we do is identify the relationships that are one way. And then we figure out, can we reframe these and make them mutually beneficial? 
Because eventually every one-way relationship ends probably prematurely because the person just feels drained. They feel like they have vampires around them. The other thing that we do is really just make sure that we're being accountable to each other, right? It, early in a relationship, it's easy to make sure that you don't let the other person down. But after you spend time with folks, it just kind of relaxes. I don't have to be on time. I don't have to keep my word if I said I was going to do this. And it's like, oh, you understand, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That familiarity breeds some contempt, though. And then eventually what happens is people start to resent each other or the passive aggressive, I'm just going to one up you to let you know, I remember what you did. And that just becomes super unhealthy. And then the third level is work. And work is a funny thing. It can serve you or it can drain everything from you. And it can be the exact same place and exact same people. It's just a matter how you engage and interact in the expectations and boundaries that have been set. But what I've learned is if you keep promises to yourself and you hold other people accountable, you very quickly become a sought after leader in the workplace. And what that usually means is, you know, with more responsibility, that additional responsibility yields more income. And when you get to a really special level, you're able to really move things and align your morals and values so that your work is fulfilling. And that is what I think is the optimal level because I don't think everybody's really meant to be an entrepreneur. So for, you know, 90 plus percent of the workforce, they're going to have a job somewhere. So, but how can you be at the top level, a top tier performer in your mm -hmm, workplace? Mm -hmm. And so those three things, self-image, relationship, and work, create all the stress in your life. And there's some smart people out there. I'm waiting for them to argue. <laughs> but I, I don't have anybody that's come up with a case yet where something didn't fit in one of those three right. categories from the stress. And right. we focus on the stress before we move to health because the stress is what causes a destructive behavior. That's why you need to take the edge off. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And so if you, when you take the edge off, you're usually not doing something healthy unless you've decided to meditate or work out or something else. Right. But right. Those aren't quick fixes. And when you're in the middle of it, you want immediate relief, right? And that's why you pop the pill, right? The Advil or whatever it is. It's not that. It's not the Advil. You know it ain't the Advil. I'm picking. It's the red glass of wine. I'm picking, right? <laughs> but if you can get those three things in order, right? Mm -hmm. Relationships, your self-image, and your work, you don't need the red glass of wine to wind down. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Because you're living in heaven, right? You, right. you have your utopia. Right. right. But most people don't want to do the three levels in order to get to that place, right? So when you get to health, right? We Wait, hold, hold on one second. I'm just going to stop one second because what you just said is, I saw a statistic. I think 70% of doctor's visits are due to stress. 70%. Well, I would suggest that it's higher because... The stress piece is its own thing, but what do you do in order to try to medicate the stress? Right. So the sugar. Right. The, the alcohol. Uh, the alcohol. Yeah. Sitting on the couch, binge watching Netflix. Yes. All of the unhealthy behaviors. So, I mean, what is right. that? Heart disease is like the number one killer in America. Uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. It's not just because the people are stressed. It's probably the salt, Right. You know, when I get stressed, I want 
a supersized <laughs> box of <laughs> McDonald's fries, right? It's probably not good for my heart. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good for your heart. It tastes good, though. Every once in a while, maybe. Okay. It tastes good. But I just I just wanted to stop you there because as as I am winding down my practice, that's one thing that my patients have appreciated about me. And that's really kind of the next step where I'm going is how do we identify the stressors and identify how it impacts our health? So this is office visits with Dr. V. I'm an OBGYN, you know, and we're talking about relationships and work because it matters. Because it matters. You're, and I'll have people who will tell me my blood pressure is only high when I go to the office. When I only go to the office. But still, and we, we talked about learned helplessness. We can get into that in a little bit. But they continue to go back to the office that runs their blood pressure up. And so before you move on to health, I just wanted to, to make that statement that you guys, those situations matter. They matter. And, you know, living your dreams can improve your health, but, you know, getting the fundamentals down before you even leap is huge. All right. <clears throat> Go ahead. <laughs> so then if you fix the stress, you can focus on the health, right? It's easier to eat right because you're going to keep the promises to yourself. Right. You're not going to eat the key lime pie that I had last night when you committed to hey, I'm going to stay on this diet, right? You're just not going to because you're accountable to yourself. You know, a lot of folks who are out there like, oh, yeah, I'm more accountable to other people than I am to myself because yeah. I don't want them to think bad of me or whatever exactly. else. But what do you think about, about yourself? yourself. When, right. you know, and in, there is no grace because you know what your intention was when you got started, when you decided, hey, I'm going to work out today. And then you hit the snooze button and you went back to sleep. Right. right. And you rolled your eyes. Right. And so, you know, just having that other stuff taken care of allows you to focus on the health. And so meditation and working out right. and eating properly, right. sleeping and all of the things to get you to optimal health because your physical condition impacts everything else. Right. Regardless Absolutely. of what everybody else wants Absolutely. to talk about. Right. And so then the next level is prosperity. We do prosperity after health because if you do health, if you do prosperity before health, you're going to spend all of your prosperity on your mind, on trying to get your health back. And so what you see happen a lot of times, people skip over health and they think they're going to go make money. They eat poorly. They do all this stuff. And then they spend all their time in a doctor trying to get it back. Right. I got to have this surgery and da, da, da. Lots and of money. It just yeah. crushes the yeah. empire that they built. And so foundationally we, we think prosperity comes after health. and out of that prosperity and the reason why we want the prosperity is to go to level six which is significance right and so some people think making a bunch of money and having a lot of things is success but it's not right, right? in order to get to the highest level it's significance it's being able to have a positive impact on the other people but we get this out of order a lot too and so what you'll see is somebody with a giving heart who's barely got their stuff together, mm. maybe don't even have their stuff together, and they're giving their money away. And then they're going to ask somebody else to help pay their bill. And it's like, oh, but I'm so generous. The money isn't mine, da 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 and just need Bye. to share. And the reality is that your giving should come out of your overflow. It should come out of your abundance because you don't have to think twice. You don't have a begrudging heart. You better give this back. If I loan this to right. you, now it's right. Okay, here it is. If you choose to give it back, 
then this is amazing. Right. If not, then that's okay too. I'm not going to miss it. Right. And no stress. that is the game. And so, you know, what I like to tell people is the guy or the lady who did the safety briefing on your last flight. I know some of y'all haven't been anywhere in a while. <laughs> it tells you to put your mask off first and then help other people. Right. Uh, and depending on where you started, I started the son of a soldier and a stay-at-home mom. You know, we weren't wealthy. Mm-hmm. And so you got to get your financial position in order before you go do stuff. And, you know, one of the things that we're really proud about is endowing an engineering scholarship, a full engineering scholarship at A&T. That was like... Wow. <laughs> but... You can't do that if you don't have the financial house in order. And so we have to, the sequence matters as much as the things. And I think people miss that. They, they want to go to replicating what the wealthy and the famous do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. without actually seeing the process. Yeah. We should replicate the process. <laughs> We shouldn't replicate the outcome because if you replicate the process, then the outcomes are imminent. And so for me, you know, I I think the sequence is self-image, relationship, work, health, prosperity, and significance. So that I'm interested in lifestyle medicine and and I've talked about that in my previous podcast. And so one of the pillars is, you know, mental health and positive psychology and that your life has to have meaning. And so how, as someone who you're impacting the lives of others and kind of walking in your calling, how does that make you feel to have that component and and be able to live it out every day? I don't work anymore. Right? I I get up Uh. and I, I don't want to scare people, but I get up between four and five. I meditate for 30 minutes. I go run six miles. I come back. I journal. I read for 30 minutes. And then I listen to podcasts until my first appointment, which is usually sometime after nine, usually around 10. I work, I I meet with people who are working on exciting things Mm -hmm. from 10 to five. And then I'm done. And I go back in my cocoon and I recharge and I work on myself and I think about things that we talked about during the day to help people get closer to what they wanted. In addition to the real estate and some of the other stuff that we do, but in general, like, this is what I'm supposed to do. And so, like, there's a young lady who has interest in leaving the government. She's working for the government. She's making six figures and she likes selling Greek paraphernalia. That's her game. She likes mm-hmm. to make sure that her sorors are living an amazing life and look fabulous while they're doing it. Uh, let, let me give you all a Greek meaning the sororities, like Alpha Kappa Alpha sorority, Alpha Phi Alpha, Omega Psi Phi. Thank you. At there are predominantly African-American sororities. Well, it's funny. Hello. It's funny, though. If you... They're... Greek organizations are just about. Oh, I was going to say, that's right. That's but the right, Divine but Nine are probably. The Divine Nine, yeah. yeah. And After so, undergraduate, yeah. Yeah. And so, because I went to HBCU, like, it's part of that culture and it, it's a big deal for those folks. But, like, her mission is to be able to get out. And it was funny because yesterday we were talking and she said, Well, how, I was like, How much money do you need to quit? Like, how much do you need to make from the side hustle? She's like, Well, 
I don't know, five or six grand. I said, your bills aren't five or six grand. I know they aren't because I know you're tight. And she was like, you're right. It's probably more like three. And I said, well, how much money did you make in the last half of last year? He said, 40 grand. I said, you can leave now if you want. So she's totally free. But she chooses to stay. But she had no recognition that she was already free. And so when she's in that position, now her frame serves her. Mm-hmm. I'm here because mm-hmm. I want to be, not because I have to. I could tell you tomorrow that I don't want to do this anymore. And that's totally okay. We get most stressed about work when we feel like we don't have a choice. Yeah. And yeah. And then we do irrational things. Yes. That's kind of that learned helplessness that we're in a situation we don't want to be in. But I mean, we could walk away potentially, but we continue to stay because we don't think we can change the outcome. And so speak speak a little bit to that because, okay, maybe not everybody has six figures. Some of my listeners are sitting at their desk and I hear this over and over. So much so, I've had patients come back and tell me, you were one of the first people I wanted to tell that I quit my job. Like, because they're in a position or doing a job that they absolutely hate. And they don't feel like they can give it up. And maybe they don't have a six-figure job. Like, where would they start? Well, you don't need a six-figure job. In fact, it's easier to get free the less you make because you don't have to replace as much income. Mm. Right? Most Mm. of us tend to grow our lifestyle based on the income that we make. You're right. And so if you don't have that much income and assuming that you're living within your means, what it takes to replace the income from a person who's working retail versus one that's a teacher versus one that's an engineer versus one that's a physician, all those are very different levels of income. That doesn't mean that they're all living the same lifestyle, right? I know people who are broken. They make half a million dollars a year because they spend every penny that they Right, right. Come on. So then they have to replace that, all of that, right? But, you know, what if you could figure out whatever your number is and then figure out how to create that outside of your job? The learned helplessness is this. It's our addiction to a paycheck, right? We are waiting for somebody to send us money every week or every other week or once a month, whatever the pay cycle is, instead of convincing ourselves mm-hmm. that we can go out mm-hmm. there and offer the world something that they will compensate us for. Right. We don't see our value. And so where they start, they start by getting clear on what their gift is. What are you really good at? What do people seek you for? Right. Right. And that thing, if packaged the proper way and put in front of the right person, will command some income. But what are you good at? Everybody, and, you know, I, I don't go down the the religious path very often, but somebody said that God doesn't make a person without a purpose. Right. So even if you believe that with a little bit, right, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. just a little bit of confidence, then you're here for a reason. Here for a reason. Whatever that reason is or may be, nobody knows but you. And so getting quiet and actually thinking about what, do you, what are people seeking you for? I think this first step. And, you know, <laughs> I, I could have been a trash man, and it's funny. I, 
I think about actually hanging off the back of a truck in the middle of a Fayetteville summer, and that just, <laughs> it's crazy. Your mom was kind of right. Well, she was, she was right about the whole thing. It's that one word, right? I needed an income stream. I didn't need a job. Two totally different things, right? right. And the thing right. that I, I realized when I was sitting on the stoop with Duran was the decoupling of time and money. We never saw the person that owned the complex. He had a manager on site who collected all the rent, dealt with all the calls that we broke stuff, and he collected the money. And so if you can find something, and I think this is the best model in the world, if you can find something that has a subscription, recurring, people need this over and over and over again, then you can free yourself mm -hmm. without having to exert effort on a daily basis. The whole game is separating your time from the money that you generate. Now, what I will tell you is by living in my gift, I have put the two back together. The money that comes outside of that is from the real estate. Mm -hmm. But for the folks who have a job and they want to do something outside, what if you could come up with an idea where you're able to use your gift and people pay you whether you show up or not because you've created a model for delivery that doesn't require you to be there physically? That's true freedom. Yeah. Because you have your time. Yeah. And that's yeah. what the wealthy care yeah. about. They, the wealthy don't care about the money. You'll see them waste money. Mm -hmm. The waste of the money is to get their time back. Mm -hmm. They're buying more time by buying yours. <laughs> and you don't have but so much time in a day. Every day you're closer to the end. Yeah. Yeah. Every day you're closer to the end. And so, you know. Whatever it may be, if you equate it to how much of your life you gave away to get it, I think you might make different choices in how you buy. Right. I, I think it's also important to say that, you know, I, I have a medical degree and people are like, but you can do, but you can do. But everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a gift. Mm -hmm. And so definitely there are avenues that are open to me that allow me to make maybe a little bit more or a lot more than the average person. Mm -hmm. But everybody has something that they can contribute back to society. It's just you kind of have to do the work to figure out what that may be. And you don't necessarily have to go to school for 12 years to be able to do that. Right. I make a lot on an hourly basis and there is no school for it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is the thing that you'll notice for the people who are extremely wealthy, like crazy numbers. Most of them don't have certifications in the thing that they're doing. Right. They just work so hard to be the best in the world at it that people are willing to pay them whatever yeah. they're at yeah. because they were able to deliver results for the people who started with them. And that's the thing that I think most people have to accept is that people don't actually care about your credentials. They care about the results that you can deliver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right, right. And you can do that where you are. And that is a habit. That is a lifestyle. 
and you can do it wherever you are right now because I can I can already hear because I've heard it from my patients. But 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 I don't have I don't have. But you can be the best at what you are charged with right now. You as long as you, this is the matrix. Okay. As long as your framework says that you can't, you can't. Wait, say that again. As long as the framework, the way that you view the world says that you can't. Cannot. All the buts, cannot. Cannot. Okay. All of your butts. Mm-hmm. If they exist, you won't. Mm-hmm. Figure out how to turn those butts into because of this, because of this, and because of this, I can. And you'll free yourself. Right. Absolutely. And that's where I think the freedom is. And that's where the living begins. It's, you know, like I said, I don't, and I, I should have been talking. Well, no, no, I won't say I should have. I have met Jerome on my journey at this point for a reason. I, I think if I would have talked to you earlier, I might have jumped in soon. But I feel like I needed to be where I am right now. But for everybody, I'm not saying leave your job. I'm not saying leave your job today because I, I, I that's like not the, the answer for most. That's not. Yeah. And I think what you said, kind of what I was doing, you, you, you feel like you can get people before they get to the barber chair, before they cut off all their hair. I don't want her to so cut all their hair. I've cut off all my hair. I think so. He doesn't agree, but I've cut my hair off. But if they start addressing some of these levels then they don't have to be in the barber chair to cut their hair off. Right. And so the way I would fully develop the metaphor is if you got split ends, the only way to get rid of them is to cut them off, right? But there's so much you can do to take care of your hair to make sure that it's in great condition. Right. So that you don't, don't have, have to cut it off. Exactly. And you don't have split ends. We can relate to that, can't we, ladies? <laughs> and some gentlemen. I know y'all can. So... This has been amazing. Tell us how we can connect with you because I know you have the Dreamcatchers podcast, which I strongly recommend you guys subscribe. I mean, there's some crazy stories of people doing amazing things and it makes you feel like if they can do it, I could do it too. So just tell us how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, I think if they want to know what's going on with me, JeromeMyers.co is the place to go. And you can find out about everything we have going on from our live events to our podcast, to our books, and just go on the journey. You can pick the rabbit hole and go as deep as you want. Be ready, though. <laughs> well, it's not for the faint at heart. Right. You're, right. I'm going to challenge you. I'm, I'm going to provoke you to ask some questions that you might not want to ask yourself. And it's because I've already been down i was the first one to take the red pill mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i know what it can do for you and I, I know how it can change your life you know i was in a place where i was miserable i had everything inside a car six thousand square foot house all of the trappings of mm -hmm. the world and i didn't enjoy any of it anymore mm. huh. i did the travel it, it was all for naught and everybody's looking at you like, oh, you've made it. I want what you have. You don't. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. Because if you're empty on the inside, if you don't have true relationships that serve you and you're serving at your highest level, then none of the other stuff can fill the holes in your soul. 
And that's something that most of us don't want to deal with is the holes in our soul, the things that happen to us as kids that make us feel inadequate or why we are trapped in this space, in this place that we're in and why we can't make a change. If you don't want to explore that stuff, don't come because you're going to be offended. And the goal here isn't to offend anybody, but it's to encourage the person who's asking the questions already, right? If if you're asking, is this it? Like, did yeah. I do all of that yeah. for this? Yeah. Then you have an inkling and you need to pull mm-hmm. that thread mm-hmm. and you need to find mm-hmm. where it actually stops and you might pull the whole sweater apart. But when it's all said and done, you'll emerge from the cocoon, the most beautiful butterfly that will attract the most amazing people into your world and you'll be able to serve them at a level that they haven't been able to experience before because you're actually walking in your purpose. Your purpose. Right. Which ultimately is why we're here. Some of us. Yeah. <laughs> some of us don't believe that, right? We They believe that we're supposed to be the cog in the wheel and we're supposed to yeah. do the thing. And if we do the thing, then maybe one day we'll be able to get a vacation and maybe we potentially could help our kids go to school and we might be able to get a month ahead on our car payment. That's not life. That's not how we're supposed to live. Right. Yeah. That's not abundant. And we're not supposed to work until we die. And there's so much programming out there that has to be erased Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you have to guard what you consume in your mouth, through your eyes and through your ears and reprogram that thing so that you can see the world from a place where you can have any and everything that your hearts desire. Ah, this is the last thing. Great segue. So I think the Dreamcatchers podcast will start to inspire. Are there any other resources that or books that you've read along the way that have kind of deprogrammed you that my listeners could start today yeah. by picking up um, to go ahead and kind of take that step and get their mind ready to take the leap. It's self-serving, but I want them to read my book, Dreams Should Be Real. Mm-hmm. I want them to start there just so they can see how radical the framework can be. And then I want them to go back and read the four agreements. Mm-hmm. And if you read the four agreements and you execute against what the four agreement says, maybe three months in, you'll see a totally different life. Mm. And then from there, I would tell them to read a Celestine prophecy because at that point, yeah. they'll be able to see energy yeah. and then things will start to transform in a way they can't explain. Yeah. So you're going to have to do some work, everybody. Reading is fundamental. Reading is fundamental. I guess you could do YouTube, but. <laughs> so there's something to be said for the discipline of sitting, yeah. turning the page and yeah. not multitasking. We live yeah. in a world where we feel like we can't devote our attention to anything for more than 15 seconds, as TikTok shows us. But I think really locking it, it allows you to find a quiet place within your spirit. And that quiet place will lead you to some answers that most of us can't hear because we have so much noise yeah yeah that's amazing i'm gonna add one more you've already said it i think some people probably might not have heard 
but the Matrix. You have to watch them. At least the first one. The only one they need to watch. <laughs> the first one. You have to watch the Matrix. If you don't know what we're talking about as far as the Matrix and the Red Pill, that's also a part of your homework. So, Jerome Myers, this was so awesome. My story is going to evolve on the podcast, and I'm taking you guys with me. Um, all I ever wanted to be was an OBGYN has changed. I have learned more, and I'm getting you all healthier in a different way. And again, I'm taking you along for the journey. So thank you. Thank you. I'm inspired by your life, your mission, your purpose. And, you know, I will be keeping up with you. Maybe we'll be coaching. He'll be coaching me. I don't know. I'm not sure. Waiting on you. <laughs> but guys, thank you all for listening. And I look forward to seeing you on the next podcast. Thank you for listening to Office Visits with Dr. V. My prayer is that something said on this podcast will get you started on a path to your optimal health and wellness. The information, including opinions and recommendations discussed in this podcast, is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Such information is not intended to be a substitute for the advice of a qualified and licensed physician or other healthcare provider. Although I'm a doctor, this does not replace the advice of your licensed physician or healthcare provider. So please seek the advice of a qualified healthcare professional before making any changes to your healthcare regimen. And another thing, just by listening to this podcast doesn't make me your doctor. However, if you want to stay connected, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Office Visits with Dr. V. And go to my website at OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. That's OfficeVisitsWithDrV.com. Let's follow up next time. Blessings.